to Matthew, Matthew chapter 3. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance but after me will come one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Thank you, God. Thanks, Will. Hey, before I uh, start, I just thought I'd uh, say uh, uh, the, the words actually, uh, a few words after what Quinton read before from, uh, from Romans chapter 10 are, and how can they preach unless they are sent? Uh, and so next week, uh, what we want to do as a church, uh, because that's Quinton's last Sunday, is to pray for him and to send him off to Bible college uh, as a church, because uh, I think this is a, a tremendously exciting opportunity that we have, uh, and a gift really as a church to give uh, to God's kingdom, uh, someone raised up uh, in this church to give to the work of mission. Uh, and I just think it's uh, really amazing actually what uh, Quentin is going off to do. So uh, we'll do that next week. But, uh, but in relation uh, to the message today uh, and to the passage that we read from Matthew uh, chapter 3, uh, I want to say this from the very beginning, uh, that today is a very hard message. Uh, if you were here last week, you'll know that today was a hard message because uh, it was complicated. There were things from the Old Testament. But today is a hard message for another reason. Uh, and that's because it's a, it's a shocking and it's a confronting uh, and it's a very, uh, I guess in some ways, invasive kind of message. Uh, earlier in the week someone said to me, uh, they encouraged me, they said, Carl, I want to encourage you not to be afraid of what people think of you and to preach the message even if it means that people won't like you because of it. Uh, at the time I thought that was a, you know, a, a tremendous encouragement. I thought to myself, that, that's an interesting thing to choose, isn't it? You know, why encourage in that direction? And as the week went on, I realised that that was really a tremendous word from God, an encouragement because this is a hard and a difficult message. It's a sickening message actually and it's a confronting message. Today uh, is all about this guy called John the Baptist that uh, we've read about before 
uh, who lived 2,000 years ago and he lived sort of uh, at the same time of Jesus and John the Baptist was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus. Last week we saw how Jesus fulfilled a number of Old Testament prophecies, uh, a number of expectations of what the Messiah, what God's King would be like and now Matthew tells us that not only did Jesus fulfil Old Testament expectations but he tells us that John the Baptist too was spoken about in times past and he fulfils uh, what was said. Uh, in verse 3 we're told that Isaiah prophesied about a man calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. The picture uh, there in Isaiah is of a picture prepare, of a person preparing the road, the way for a king. Maybe uh, you might think of a king returning from battle and the city being prepared for the, for the king to make his way down the main street. When I uh, was at school, when I was in year 10, which is getting further and further away from me now, uh, when I was in year 10 I did work experience at the Naval Submarine Base in Sydney. It used to be in Sydney, now it's uh, Garden Island, Western Australia, but uh, I did my work experience there for a week and I remember the sailors talking about admiralty visits. And once a year or so, the, one of the admirals would come and, he'd, and they'd visit the base. And for, uh, for ages beforehand, the sailors would have to do all these tasks like painting the bollards and you know, tidying everything up so that when the admiral came, it would look good. These guys had to prepare if you like, for the visit of the Admiral. And just like those sailors prepared for the visit of the Admiral, John the Baptist was the man appointed by God, sent by God, to prepare the way for Jesus. But he wasn't just preparing the way for an Admiral, was he? And he wasn't even preparing the way for just another king. Verse 3 says that John was preparing the way for the Lord. He was preparing the way for the Lord. That is, he was preparing the way for God. God was coming to visit people on earth and God had sent John to prepare the way before him. And so here is the question. This is really today's question. How do you prepare for God visiting? How do you prepare to meet God? You might know how to prepare your house for a for the visit of a family member or a guest but how do you prepare to meet God? Well the way that John prepared for God to visit was by preaching a very simple message. You can find it in verse 2 where it says repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. How do you get ready for God coming to visit. You repent. You repent. But what does that mean? What does it mean to repent? Clearly at one level, repentance was, is not as straightforward, as obvious as you might think. After all, God had been saying repent to people for thousands of years and yet now when he was coming to visit, he felt that he needed to send another person, John the Baptist, to say it again. At its most basic, I guess, if you want to define repentance, repentance is about turning around. It's about turning from one thing to another. Repentance is about turning away from sin and turning to God. It's a fundamental choice between two opposite realities, between sin 
and God. At the risk of, uh, I guess, diminishing the importance of what we're talking about, it's like being invited to two different parties on the same day. You know, you can go to Sin's party or you can take up the invitation to go to God's party, but you can't do both. You can't go to both parties at the same time. It's one or the other. You cannot keep porn and have God. You cannot keep pirated music and films and have God. You cannot keep greed and have God. You can't keep dodgy business practices and have God. You can't keep getting drunk and have God. You can't keep planning your life around yourself and about what you want and about what you want to do and where you want to go. You can't keep planning your life around yourself and have God. You cannot keep your life in this world and have God because God says that your life belongs to him. You cannot choose God and sin. Here's what Hebrews 11 says about the choice that one Christian man made. In chapter 11 it says, By faith Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Do you see the choice that he had? Do you see what choice Moses had? He could have sin or he could have being forsaken for the sake of knowing Christ. Sin or God. You need to choose. You cannot have both. You can either give up everything and choose God, give to God whatever he asks from you and live. You can either give up everything or you can choose sin and die. And let me be blunt, you know, let me be quite blunt. Unless you choose God, there's no point coming. There's no point coming here. There's no point coming back next week unless you're willing to choose God rather than sin. You're not doing any favours by turning up to church. God doesn't want Sunday mornings, he wants you. God wants your life. So repentance is fundamentally about turning away from sin, it's about turning away from sin and choosing God. But I think it's still really easy to misunderstand what the nature of repentance really is. You see, if repentance is just about turning away from bad standards to good standards, then repentance is a powerless choice. If repentance is just about turning away from bad standards to good standards, then repentance just becomes about turning away from bad things and sort of whipping yourself into some kind of frenzied obedience to God. But the Bible says that that doesn't work, right? The Bible says that you can't make yourself better. It says that if you try, it's not going to happen. We can't make ourselves good people. But repentance isn't just about turning away from 
bad standards to good standards, here's the key, it's about turning from, away from sin to God, to a living, powerful God. It's about turning from sin as a means of death to God as a means and source of life and of forgiveness and of righteousness. That's where the baptism that John had comes in as well. Baptism is not a pledge of allegiance. It's not your promise to God that you're going to live a a, a perfect life from now on. It's an appeal to God for life. Not as in life without dying, right? It's not about life never ending. It's about that too. But it's as in life which is real life. In the Bible, to live is to love God and to be captivated by God and to be full of righteousness and zeal for God. That's life. That's what it means to live. Not just to live forever, but to live for God. And baptism is an appeal to the God who is the author of that life, the founder of that life. It's a way of saying to God, God, I want to be righteous and to love you. That's what, that's what it's about. Baptism is an appeal to the power of God which raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's about turning from sin to the power of God to the God who wins the victory over sin and who cleanses hearts from evil. Here's the point. Here is the absolutely essential point. Choosing God is a powerful choice because God is a powerful God. Choosing God is a powerful choice because God is a powerful God. It's not about choosing what's right over what's wrong. It's not less than that, but it's more. It's about choosing the life which comes from the hand of God through the resurrection and the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Here's something uh, again from Hebrews chapter 11, which again speaks about the power of choosing God over sin. It says in that chapter, in chapter 11, that by faith some conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful and routed foreign armies. Those were some of the powerful consequences of choosing God over choosing sin. If you're just choosing better ways, even if you're choosing God's ways, right? If you're just choosing better standards, but not choosing Jesus Christ, not fleeing to the power and the grace of God in Jesus and in the Gospel, if you're not fleeing to the mercy and to the kindness of God, then you haven't really repented. You may have turned away from sin but you haven't turned to God as the source of life and of hope and of righteousness. You're not saved by being a good person or trying hard. You're saved by choosing Jesus and trusting in him. You see, repentance is more than about choosing better standards. It's about choosing a powerful God in Jesus Christ. But John was very eager for these truths to really be rammed home to the people that he was speaking to. 
Uh, in verse 7, we find out about some of the religious leaders who'd come to hear John to find out about what he was doing and what he was saying. Uh, and in verse 7, we read this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the religious people, the religious leaders, when he saw them coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the foot of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What was going on was that John had been sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus by calling on people to repent and these religious leaders were coming and they were hearing John's message and they were saying to themselves, look, we don't really need to do that. We don't need to turn to God because we're already God's people. We're, we're children of Abraham. God had made, uh, a couple of thousand years before John, God had made some important promises to Abraham uh, and these people were descendants from Abraham and they thought that just because they were in the right family and because they were part of the right religious group that they were okay, that they didn't need to turn to God, that they didn't need to choose God over sin. I guess the, uh, the modern equivalent of that might be uh, that you think that you're ready to meet God because uh, you, you're in the right church or because you do the right things. But John was saying to these people, the way that you tell if you're prepared to meet God is by whether or not you, ha- you bear fruit that matches with repentance, whether your life you know, kind of correlates with having repented. Uh, if you bear the fruit uh, of having turned to a powerful, life-giving God, then you can know that you really belong to God. Uh, In other words, because repentance and choosing God is a powerful choice, it inevitably leads to to a changed life. It inevitably, inevitably leads to a real life, a life of love for God. The rest of, uh, of the Gospel that Matthew has written kind of expands on what that looks like. What, what are the fruits of believing in Jesus and of trusting in Jesus? Uh, and we'll, we'll sort of come to those things in the weeks uh, to come, I suppose. But in Luke's account uh, of this same ministry of John the Baptist, uh, John gives some examples of what he means by bearing fruit. If you've got your Bible uh, open, turn with me to, to Luke, to Luke chapter 3. So Luke chapter 3 and we'll read from verse 8. So Matthew, uh, so, uh, so John says, as in Matthew, uh, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. And he goes on as in Matthew and then skip down to verse 10 and the people ask him, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none and the one who has food should do the same. 
Tax collectors also came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? Uh, He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Uh, You see, if if you don't share, what, what John is saying is that if you don't share out of your abundance, you know, out of the abundance that you have, then that shows that you've probably chosen selfishness rather than choosing God. If, you collect, if you're collecting more money than you're owed, if you're robbing people blind wherever you can, then you've probably chosen the sin of greed rather than choosing God. If you accuse people falsely, then you've probably chosen the sin of self-promotion rather than choosing God. If you're never content uh, with what you're paid, then you've probably chosen the sin of worshipping money rather than choosing God. This past week uh, on the drum, I don't know if anybody watches the drum on ABC, uh, it's a bit annoying actually, uh, but, but sometimes it's interesting. And this past week they were talking about the laws uh, in America regarding uh, piracy. Uh, and they went out on the streets to ask people whether they pirated uh, uh, f- uh, music and films and stuff. Uh, and one of the ladies uh, you know, that they asked said, yeah, my husband and I do that. Uh, we're Christians. We're both studying at Bible college. And I thought to myself, I don't know these people. I, you know, I don't know exactly where they're at. But here is, here is the sickening question. You might say that you're a Christian. You might be studying at Bible college. But where is the fruit of repentance? Don't think that you can say to yourself, I'm a Christian. I'll be okay. I can hang on to my sin and have God. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The axe is already at the foot of the tree. God will destroy you unless you repent. This is not a game. It is not even close to being a game. This is a serious business. And if you don't have the fruit which matches repentance, then you need to get on your knees and repent and say to God, I want you rather than sin. Because unless you do that, you will be swept away by God's judgment. Well, finally, I guess, having thought a bit about what repentance means, we can think a little bit more and press a little bit more into the second half of what John says. John was preaching this message, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And you cannot escape the fact that there is a sense of tremendous urgency to John's message. It was 2,000 years ago, yes, but this was an urgent message. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is near. Why? Because the axe is already laid at the foot of the trees and every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
John goes on to explain that a little bit more in verse 11. He says, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering up the wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The urgency that John was, was speaking with has something to do with the kingdom of heaven being near. It has something to do with judgment, obviously. It has something to do with Jesus baptising with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But how do all those things fit together? What does the kingdom of heaven have to do? Uh, what does the kingdom of heaven being near have to do with the Holy Spirit? What does that have to do with judgment? What does it have to do with Jesus baptising uh, with the Holy Spirit and fire? It's important to understand, first of all, I guess, what the kingdom of heaven really is. And very simply, the kingdom of heaven is the place where Jesus reigns. It's a place, uh, or the, uh, I guess the sphere in which uh, people follow and obey Jesus. And what John is basically saying is you need to repent because Jesus is making that place a reality. How is he doing that? How is Jesus making uh, that place a reality? He's doing it by one mechanism or if you like he's doing it through one picture and that picture is baptism. Baptism either by the Holy Spirit or by fire. For those who were here uh, a couple of months ago when we went through Leviticus you remember that baptism or cleansing or washing with water was a picture of getting rid of sin. Right? It was a picture of, of just totally eradicating sin. And there are essentially two ways that Jesus is going to get rid of sin out of his kingdom and out of his world. He's going to do it with the Spirit and he's going to do it with fire. How will Jesus establish his reign over the world? How will Jesus get rid of rebellion? He'll do it either by recreating people through the Spirit to love and serve him, right? He'll make new people through the Spirit who love and serve him. Or he'll do it by destroying the rebellious person and condemning them to hell. How will Jesus create a world where people love and serve him? There's only two ways. Through cleansing by the Holy Spirit or by the cleansing judgment of eternal hell. Jesus is going to sort out the world. That's what John is saying. That's where the wheat and the chaff illustration comes in. In the days when John was, was preaching, uh, after you'd harvested your grain, you'd bring it in, you'd put it on the ground, you'd trample all over it to kind of break, break it up, break the husk away from the, from the wheat. Uh, and then you'd take a winnowing fork and you'd throw it up in the air. And the wind would blow away the useless chaff and the heavier wheat would fall back to the ground. You could collect it and you could take it home and you could use it. And John is saying in the same way Jesus is going to sort out the world. He's going to get rid of what is useless and rebellious and he's going to, and he's going to burn it up. And he's going to take the good wheat and he's going to take it with him. There's only two options cleansing with the Holy Spirit, recreation through the Spirit or eternal destruction by fire. And which one it is that you receive depends on one thing and that is repentance. That's why John's message was urgent. 
because there is a judgment coming and the only way to escape the wrath of God is by choosing the righteous Son of God rather than sin. All of us deserve fire and destruction. All of us deserve to be utterly destroyed by the fiery wrath of God. But for those of us who turn to Jesus, Jesus takes our fiery wrath that we deserve. He takes our baptism with fire. He takes it on the cross and he cleanses us through the Holy Spirit. So if the first question of John's message was, what is repentance? The second question is, why? Why repent? Why do you need to repent? You need to repent because Jesus is coming to establish a world which knows and loves him. And if you don't repent, you'll be destroyed by the eternal wrath of God. Just as John was preparing people to meet God, God was coming to visit. God is coming to visit again. And you and I need to be prepared to meet him. And so the question is, Which reality have you chosen? Sin or God? Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, these are hard and difficult things to hear. Lord, not least because all of us are sinners and deserving of your wrath. Lord, these are hard things to hear because sometimes we don't want to face up to the reality of where we are at or the circumstances of which we've been living. Lord, maybe we're living for ourselves and we don't want to give that up. Lord, maybe the truth is that we want with all our hearts to hang on to the sinful things in this world rather than to know and to love you and to love your son Jesus. Lord, we pray that in your amazing grace and mercy that you would help us to step past our pride and to humble ourselves at the feet of the cross and of your great Saviour. Help us to choose the life which comes from him and from his hand. Lord, help us to trust that you're not uh, a grumpy old father who is reluctant to show mercy and kindness to those who turn to you. Lord, help us to trust and to believe that you delight to show mercy and that you desire all men to come to repentance. So, Father, we ask that you would enable us to choose your Son and the powerful life which comes through him. Amen.